Superman in the Bronze Age presents... From Crisis to Crisis. And welcome to episode 49 of Superman in the Bronze Age, and the final installment of Superman in the Bronze Age presents... My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and before we get to the show I am presenting today, I want to let you all know that this episode is sponsored by InStock Trades. A mainstay of the collected edition market, InStock Trades has over 13,000 individual trade paperback, graphic novel, and hardcover titles in stock and ready to ship, all at great discounted prices. An example of this is the Return of Superman trade paperback, which reprints the entire Reign of the Superman storyline in one convenient book. The cover price is $19.95, but InStock Trades has it for just $11.97, which is a savings of 40%. Also, most orders ship within 48 hours, and orders over $50 ship for free. You can find them on the web at InStockTrades.com. Today's episode, which is the last episode before I return with a completely new episodes in June, features probably the most well-known show of the four that I have presented to date. From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, is hosted by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor and covers every Superman appearance from John Byrne's Man of Steel miniseries in 1986 to Infinite Crisis in 2006. As I record this episode, the guys are now into their coverage of Reign of the Superman after their fantastic and thorough coverage of both Death of Superman and Funeral for a Friend. But the episode that I'm presenting today doesn't really have much to do with all that. Just before all their death and return coverage started, the guys invited me to be on uh, to be on the show to help with their coverage of Walt Simonson's Superman special from 1992, which was basically the post-crisis version of the Sand Superman saga that I covered way back on this on this show. Unfortunately, a scheduling snafu prevented me from being able to join them, but I decided to present it anyway due to its connection to this show. So after a promo for their show, here is episode 116 of From Crisis to Crisis. The funeral is over. Jonathan Kent is on the mend. So, uh, how's Clark's father? Oh, much, much better. Lois has returned home. Lois, over here! Harry, why? When did you start meeting your staff at the airport? I don't know, I was returning on that flight. A good editor checks out his answers, Lois. I got a hot story of once one straight away. I'm parked over here. But just as Metropolis has learned to live without the Man of Steel... I know, there was only one Superman, but Metropolis just hit the jackpot. Because we got four Supermen now, and nobody knows which of them, if any, is the real McCoy. Four beings of incredible power and intellect have laid claim to the Man of Steel's name. The last son of Krypton. I live! The Man of Steel. 
Man of Steel coming through! Nobody moves! This is a bust! The Cyborg. Yes, I'm Superman. I'm back. The Boy of Steel. Put me down! Listen, pal, don't ever call me Superboy. Capiche? The reign of the Superman is upon us. And so, from crisis to crisis, a Superman podcast begins its epic coverage of this last act in the epic Death and Return of Superman saga. Every week, Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor, along with the best and the brightest in the podcasting community, will cover this event in all of its forms, from the comics to the novelizations to the audio drama and beyond. Superman is back, but is any of them the real Man of Steel? Find out on From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, located at www.supermanhomepage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel and more. SupermanHomePage.com Kellogg's Pep, the super delicious cereal presents From Crisis to Crisis everybody and welcome to from crisis to crisis a superman podcast presented by the superman homepage my name is michael bailey and my name is jeffrey taylor and this week we are alone despite uh supposed to be having a guest host but that kind of fell through for planning reasons well i'm not alone I'm, i'm talking to you well are you sure <laughs> Or am I just the voice in your head and an actor paid to go meet you at the Atlanta airport? That would be really weird. I'd be in my own Truman show. (laughs) This week we are covering the Superman titles with an October 1992 cover date. We're finishing those up. And that includes Adventures of Superman number 495, Action Comics number 682, and Superman special number 1... Which was actually supposed to come out two years before it did, but more on that later. This episode is also brought to you by Joe Anthrax. And if that sounds kind of weird, there's an explanation coming. Joe, out of freaking nowhere, gave us a donation. And he had this to say. 
Uh, I have nothing to plug, a website, podcast, or otherwise. I just wanted to show some appreciation to one of the podcasts that keeps me entertained on a weekly basis. You and Jeffrey have set the template for a lot of the comics podcasts I listen to, and I think that speaks highly of your gentleman's talents and dedication. I wasn't collecting Superman during the era you were covering, but I was aware of it as it tied into the Justice League and Green Lantern storylines that I was collecting. And as I have said on other emails to some of your podcasts, Michael, the two of you are great at painting a picture of what is going on in the issue, allowing readers like myself to easily follow along without the issue in front of me. I'm really looking forward to the lead-up and coverage of the death, because it tied in with the aforementioned GL I was collecting, and was one of the few times I was actively seeking out the Superman titles. I hope that both of your families have a great Thanksgiving and a wonderful holiday season. I didn't put Christmas because I thought Jeffrey might be peeved if I didn't mention Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, Rabunaka, and etc. So, no, no, no. Christmas is still a secular holiday. So, but uh, this brings up an, an interesting, um, interesting new development for the show, and, and something that that we never really considered before. But since Joe gave us the donation, we thought we'd put out I don't know, a tip jar, basically. And let anyone out there who listens to the show My wife just handed me a note that says this show is also brought to you by the letters D and C and the number 52. Wow, D and C. Interesting <laughs> nice. combination. Apparently, I sounded a little too much like a broadcaster for my wife there for a minute. <laughs> but as I was saying, you know, we, we, we never really thought of the idea of a tip jar or accepting donations. And, and on the whole, I, I, I still just, it, it's just weird to talk about because it feels like we're asking for money, which, you know, ostensibly we are. But to kind of balance that, uh, we're kind of going to for lack of a better term, rip off what Two True Freaks did, uh, which I was doing at Views from the Long Box as well, which is basically giving you the opportunity to sponsor an episode. There are costs that go along with producing this podcast. Uh, they used to be defrayed by Views from the Long Box and the sponsorship deal I had there, but I no longer have that. So, And it's not that if we don't get a sponsor sponsors or donations or anything, the show's going to go away because, you know, Worst comes to worst, you know, I pay for it out of my own pocket. I'm, you know, it's not, I'm not threatening you or trying to hold the show hostage. Yes, we are straight jacket level committed. Yeah, but uh, which is a good way to refer to it. But if you feel like, um, you know, just putting a few bucks in the tip jar, like if you're at a, a, a bar or whatever and the local band's there and they got a jar and you're not really paying to see them, but you want to give them a little cash anyways, uh, to help kind of defray the costs of the show, feel free to. I've set up a little PayPal thing over at FortressofBailey2.com. There is no minimum donation, and it's completely voluntary. Like I said, all of the money goes to the cost of producing the show. You don't really have to give anything if you want to keep listening. I mean, we're not going to hold it against you or, or say it's a bad thing. But if you want to head on over to Fortress of Bailitude and use the PayPal link on the right side of the screen, we do appreciate it. Absolutely, and it's not a bad idea. I, we're actually doing the same thing with um, I've been writing the Slipstream uh, webcomic which is available at clockworkcomics.co.uk and there's right there an optional donate button. So, again, 
not begging, not pleading. We may mention it. Uh, we may come up with a new end tag for the show that mentions it. But that's pretty much going to be it, folks. I mean, we're we're, we're going to be kind of passive aggressive about that. Well, not passive aggressive, just passive, just passive on the whole thing. It's it's kind of funny because in in college I had an outgoing voicemail that whenever anybody called me that they would hear me say, "Hi, this is Jeff. Please send money." Click. Just in case your mom called? Is that what I'm getting from there? Well, basically, yeah, because I wouldn't answer the phone when my mom called. She called me one time at like 8 a.m. on a Sunday, and when you're in college, that's the equivalent of waking you up at 3 a.m. And so I just answered the phone. If this isn't an insanely beautiful woman, I'm hanging up. And she said, Jeff, this is your mom, so I hung up. But thank you very much, Joe Anthrax, who's... Real name, uh, I know, but I don't know if he wants to saying it. So, I'm sadly, to... sadly, uh, of of what was donated, we didn't get any actual anthrax, but that's okay. <laughs> sadly, sadly, uh, sadly. Okay, that's. I had plans for that stuff, man. <laughs> All right, Joker. Uh, so, with with that, we uh, don't have much more to go as far as preamble, so we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to go into Adventures of Superman. Number 495. Hey, kids! Comics! Hey, Michael! Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just... Listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast's about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. We talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics. And then we talk about them. Because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then... We sing! Badly! Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com And now, back to the adventures of Superman. So have I mentioned that I didn't, re- that I never really cared for the forever people? No, you, 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 you've never told me that before. Just not one of my favorites. Well, they are the guest stars in Adventures of Superman, number 495. They're just that, like the village people, only there's a woman. The, the Hand That Robs the Cradle. This was released on August 25th, 1992. The triangle number was 1992 39 Cover price was $1.25. The cover art was by Tom Grummet and Doug Hazelwood. The credits are Tom Grummet, penciler, Doug Hazelwood, inker, Jerry Ordway, writer, Glenn Whitmore, colorist, Albert de Guzman, letterer, Jennifer Frank, assistant editor, and Mike Carlin, high father. Nice. Glad he doesn't think too highly of himself there. <laughs> Mid-morning in Metropolis. The city streets are alive with trucks, cabs, and buses, and everything is going pretty okey day. Till a freaking boom tube opens up in the middle of the road. Out pour the forever people, who consist of Beautiful Dreamer, her husband Big Bear, Seraphin, Mark Moonrider, and Vikin. And. <laughs> Vikadin. 
he makes people feel really good and then gives them a headache. And his, his brother Codeine is is not my friend. <laughs> uh, the forever people want Superman and they want him now. A cop, a, a rather ballsy cop, I might add, wants to know WTF is going on and isn't the least bit intimidated by the fact that Big Bear towers over him. Dreamer uses her powers to try and calm the cop down before we cut to the Daily Planet, where Clark and Lois are busy having conversations on ethics and journalism with Ron Troop, when Perry White walks in and tells them about the commotion outside, but not before putting in his two cents on the subject. Lois and Clark head to the roof as Clark changes clothes, and soon Superman learns that the Forever People believe that Darkseid has taken beautiful Dreamer and Big Bear's daughter, Maya. Superman agrees to help and even suggests that they contact the Justice League, but apparently there is no time for this, and soon a mother box is produced and the Forever People and Superman are off. Lois watches and wonders how much longer she can stand to watch Superman rush off like that. Quick hint, Lois. Not for too much longer. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, get used to it, but not for very long. On the way to Apocalypse, Superman learns that the Forever People had been living in Habitat, near the Cadmus Project. And it was there that Maya... Maya? Is that what you said? Yeah, I, I believe it's pronounced Maya. That, that's um, the real world use of the name. It could be Maya if that's the you know New God's way of saying it. Uh, Maya was kidnapped. They land and are soon engaged by a dog cavalry unit. And when I say dog cavalry unit, folks, I mean... a bunch of guys riding giant dogs. Superman is doing pretty good, but to even the odds a bit more, the forever people form the Infinity Man. Superman and the Infinity Man continue to fight even as the parademons arrive. Meanwhile, Darkseid visits Desaad, who is busy living up to his namesake and wants to know WTF is going on, especially since Superman is busy starting an insurrection. Back on Earth, Jimmy and the owner of Titano's Pizza are being schmoozed by Vinny Edge and end up signing a contract to do a television show based on Turtle Boy, even if Jimmy thinks that they should have a lawyer look things over first. I sure hope they didn't get that actor who played Titano. (laughs) He was a jerk. Back on Apocalypse, Darkseid hits Superman with his Omega Beams, which transports him to where the Dark Lord is just chillin', like a villain. Yo. The Infinity Man follows, but when he arrives, Darkseid turns him back into the Forever People. Mark Moonrider demands to know where the child is and gets punched in the face for his troubles. Darkseid reveals that he didn't order this thing to be done, but he knows who did the deed. Cut to Granny Goodness about to beat Maya after she took down a bunch of parademons without permission. Darkseid stops her, and soon we learn that Granny kidnapped the child to show her master that she hadn't lost her touch. Granny insists that the child's destiny is with her, but Darkseid doesn't agree, and returns Maya to her parents and sends everyone back to Earth. Darkseid informs Granny that Maya is the key to New Genesis's future, but there are many a tableau left to be played until then. Meanwhile on New Genesis, Superman and crew teleport in thanks to Highfather intercepting and detouring them there. The Forever People agree to stay, and while Superman thinks about it for a moment, the Man of Steel decides to head back home, where he will be safe and sound, unless someone, you know, kills him. So, this whole issue is a neat riff on Forever People number one, which I read for the first time 
in the greatest Superman stories ever told. In that story, the Forever People show up. Uh, they need Superman's help. A lot of stuff happens. And at the end, Superman thinks about going to New Genesis. Uh, or I think he, if I'm remembering it, he either goes to New Genesis, sees that it's full of super people like him, and thinks about staying, and at the last minute decides to go home, or they never go to New Genesis, and he sees Supertown, the town of New Genesis, and decide, almost goes there, but decides to stay. Either way, it's this whole, I feel kind of out of place on Earth, here's a place full of people just like me type thing. And well, in this it, issue, we get the exact opposite of that. Yeah, and it, well, if anything, it's kind of a similar idea, but it's glanced over because he has the thought balloon, oh, I would be just like everybody else here. And at least I took that to mean that, you know, this place has possibilities. It would be cool to live here. But, you know, I'm Superman. I have to go back to Earth to do this stuff. But that's all what I read into it. Now, when you say Forever People number 1, I assume you mean from the early 70s. Yes. Okay. Not not the miniseries that came out in 88. Okay. Just... Which, I, which I own, I think. I think I bought that out of a 50-cent box. I actually have a copy of Forever People number 1, so I should probably take that one? out. Yep. Yeah. It's it's actually a pretty good story. It, it's uh, It's got Jimmy Jimmy Olsen in it, of course, because Jack Kirby was doing a lot with Jimmy Olsen. So. Right. Um, Decent story, liked it a lot, liked the Kirby artwork. Um, going back to this issue, I think uh, I think this is a great cover, actually. I, I really like it. I think Superman looks good. And while I'm kind of with you uh, about the Forever People not being my favorite, uh, I do like the way Grummet draws them. So. Oh, I'm definitely with you on that. Uh, pages two and three, speaking of liking the way Grummet draws them, wow, this is a great uh, two-page splash of the forever people coming out of the boom tube. Ah, neat. And they're all so specific too. <laughs> the, I, I mean, uh, e- even if they didn't have the, you know, specific looks like, you know, what's his name? Big bear, big bear, big bear. Even if he didn't basically have a lion's mane, you could still tell that it's him by his face. I mean, if anything, he looks like a roided out Lex Luthor the second. <laughs> uh, uh, Page four, I like this cop. He walks up, you clowns can't stop traffic like this. Move that vehicle or I'll have it towed. And they're trying to talk to him, and and Big Bear's like, no, let me. And the cop, not scared, goes, better keep that fist in your pocket, big guy. I guess he's not used to getting a lot of opposition. He's used to the uniform kind of doing the speaking for him. Oh, well, he's... Still, that guy's freaking huge. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that on that page, it's that if Dreamer had just let the cop go ahead and see them as threatening, they'd probably find Superman even faster. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> Instead of like, no, calm down. You're being very undoed. <laughs> and then uh, page five. Okay, th- th- this is the only page that this sort of thing happens on. We, we do get a, a quick stop off at the Daily Planet and a conversation between Clark, Lois, Ron Troop, and then Perry shows up. And I find this conversation really confusing because I don't understand which side anybody is actually on. It's like they're they're saying, here's what we did, but here's what people actually do. <laughs> and so I don't I don't understand if they're arguing against themselves or saying, here's what we did, but we shouldn't have done it that way. I think to the point of the page, because everyone is pretty much right on this page. 
you know, on one hand, it is right to be sensitive to the the people you're doing the story about because as Lois points out, if they had revealed their their true names of the of the spousal abuse story she was working on that we discussed in the last episode, um, if they had revealed the names, it might have undone all the work that they've meant to do because then people would might track them down or whatever. Uh, on the other hand, Perry's right too that you know in the interest of full disclosure, Sometimes you got to name names, so it's it's an interesting page. Though I do like the fact that Ron Troop is easily led. <laughs> oh yes, he's very easily led. Like, oh, I see your point. Oh, I see your alternative point. <laughs> so, you are Ron, both correct. W- what I'm trying to say is, you need to make me coffee. Oh, okay, I'll make you coffee, but you shouldn't have to make me coffee because you're just as much of an equal as I am. Okay, I won't make you coffee. And in the end, Ron moves to Switzerland. <laughs> um, page six, I like the way Superman looks on this page as he lands. Very nice shot of Superman. Uh, page eight, weird scene with Lois thinking, I can't see him go off in action like this much longer. It's like, what? Where is that coming from? Well, I, I guess I can kind of see where it's coming from, given you know the past two years or so since she learned his his identity. Has it been two years or one? Uh, or, no, it was around book. April of ninety one. No, ninety. Of ninety. Oh. Okay, yes. It so it was ninety. It wasn't ninety, or was it ninety one? It was ninety one. It was very very early ninety one because uh, okay. right after that was uh, time and time again again. No, wait, that's the story coming right. up next week. So Yes. But, but, I mean, she's seen him go off and actually be in legitimate danger, and it, you know, probably is kind of becoming a, a bit of a bother. But on the other hand, we haven't seen that much lately. She wasn't really around for Eclipso, so... Except when she was an Eclipso. <laughs> well, yeah, but not not when Superman turned into an Eclipso. And, oh, that's like, true. Uh, himself to be and was off almost killing people and it looked like he might not come back. She didn't even get to know about any of that stuff. But also on page 8, by this point I have to wonder why it took 8 pages to actually get to this point. It really feels like the, the story has moved very slowly and it's it's funny because by the time I got to the end it felt like it was a lot more than a 22 page comic. So it, it's a weird issue for, with timing at least from from my experience of it. Again, I think they were kind of riffing on the forever people number one structure. Gotcha. Where it kind of took a while to get every get all the players in play. Oh, fair enough. So, um, page nine. Ooh, Habitat is awesome. I remember the first time that I saw it in a Superman comic, and that's coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Page pages ten through thirteen. We get a nice action sequence with Superman and the Infinity Man. I like this. Found out recently um, who uh, Countdown thinks the Infinity Man is, so that was interesting. Who, what Countdown thinks it is? Countdown, yeah, the series Countdown, Countdown to Final Crisis. Yeah, what, few... I, I, I don't remember. I, I know that I read the whole thing, but I've Darkseid's brother. I love it. Oh, all right. 
Wow. That's the, something they made up for Countdown, right? I have no idea, but the term underwhelmed very much describes your reaction to that to that statement. Yeah, there's a big difference between, you know, my, my reaction to Habitat with ooh, and my reaction to what you just said is oh. Now, on page 10, Superman references that uh, he recognizes Apocalypse from his time there, which was specifically... Um, it says all the way back in Adventures 426. We probably talked about it in episode 5 of this show. I believe so. Now, now he was hypnotized the whole time that he was there. Um, he In Superman 3, he was there, and he was Superman throughout that. And it was at the end of that issue that he fell into the fire pit. So oh, that's would probably true. remember all the stuff leading up to going into the fire pit. Gotcha. And then beating the snot out of Darkseid. Okay, fair enough. I, I was trying to think, like, would he remember that? Wouldn't he remember that? But no, that, that does make sense. It's been a long time since we read that, though. Mm-hmm. Um, skipping ahead to page 12, this moment where the forever people become Infinity Man, it just makes me think of, like, I have the power! Or, or like, Voltron's sword. <laughs> uh, page and I'll form the head. <laughs> Page 14, Grummet and Hazelwood draw a very neat-looking dark side. Let me take a look at that. I haven't really, didn't really paid that close attention. Yeah, and he's still got the skirt, which I personally appreciate, because I, I think of that as being part of the original design. Uh-huh. Uh, he can still look big and you know badass and still have the you know little bit of a mini skirt thing. You know, I was and just it, talking I, to somebody about this. I always got that as being more of a tunic. That's the way that I think of it, too. And in fact, that, that is very much what it looks like here. Um, it does look a little bit more like a skirt on the action figure of him that I have. Yes. Which is, I'll, which I'll agree with specifically that. Specifically the, the new God's act figure, yeah. So, yeah, it, it's, it's kind of hard to say. But I mean, even a tunic—it's hard. It's hard to look like a badass in a tunic. But Darkseid is one of the few characters who can just pull it off, especially with the right artist. Um, but on page fourteen as well, it, you know, it, it it occurs to me once again, Desaad's a, d- and okay. Darkseid Dark knows that he lies to him all the time. Why does he keep him around? He has his uses. If he's just going to try and de- what? It's why Megatron keeps Starscream around. He has his uses. <laughs> Okay. Even though, in my opinion, in the very first episode of Transformers, when Star Starscream says, this is why I should leave the Decepticons, Megatron should have leveled his cannon at Dar- Starscream's head, blown it off, and said, did anybody else have any bright ideas? Okay, let's move with, move on with me being in charge. Somebody actually explained to me, not, not, not just a Cracked.com article, uh, but a good friend of mine that's a very big Star uh, uh, Transformers fan explained to me why keeping Starscream alive made sense. But I don't know if he was arguing the point just to see if he could or if he actually believed it. Well, if I were to argue the point about Desaad, all that I could really think to say is that Darkseid can still read him well enough that he knows when he's lying. But Desaad still gets away with plenty of stuff. Yes, he does. There's a lot of stuff that he gets away with, and there's a lot of stuff that he gets away with at least long enough for Darkseid to be able to be pissed off about it. Like helping Intergang. It, it seems to me that Darkseid didn't know that he was actually doing that until he'd already been doing it for a while. Um, page 15, uh, to Jimmy's point, lawyer looking over contract equals a good idea. 
Yes, exactly. Because the Titanos guy is just happy to sign it. He's like, oh, yeah, this guy's a TV guy. He knows his stuff. He knows what he's doing. Yes, yes, he does know what he's doing. He is swindling you. Which is why you love- need to have a lawyer look this over. Exactly. He what he's doing. But I, I do love this Turtle Boy stuff. Um, and it really nice throwback mention of the prankster. Like, oh, yeah, we can do great things for Turtle Boy. Just look what we did for Oswald Loomis. Because he was the prankster was a TV host for a long time, and that's how he got so he got all that you know gift items like industrial grade soap, <laughs> lots and and happy lots clown EMP. Yes, yeah, exactly. Happy so, clown, but yes, unfortunate incident. That <laughs> that's how uh, not it's not Morgan Edge. This is um. Vinny Edge. Vinny Edge, thank you. I was trying to think of his first name. Vincent Edge. He says uh, uh, about the prankster, oh, yeah, that was an unfortunate incident. (laughs) Right. That's what it was, an unfortunate incident. That's how you play that one. That's why this guy is a TV producer. And I do love how how the end of the page does feed into the next and what it's saying, where Jimmy says, you know, shouldn't we have have a lawyer read it first? And he says, I really feel – we can trust Mr. Edge to look after all our best interests. The man knows TV, Jim. You want a pizza place. You know, when, when, I, when I need like, say advice... You, know, president. you know, when I need advice on how to make the perfect pie, um, come to you. Legal advice? Not so much. So... Uh, pages 17 through 19... Okay, so Darkseid wasn't behind the kidnapping. Granny Goodness was, because she thought Maya was her density. <laughs> I was waiting for, for a nice. response. Uh, and Darkseid lets everyone go, but afterwards he says that Maya will be important one day. Okay, got it. I, 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 th- I think I understand how this works now. Um you know, Darkseid really needs to clean house because a lot of people are doing crap without him knowing. <laughs> is, yeah, it's time to like fire Desaad and Granny, and by fire I mean throw into a fire pit. I was about to say, but how do you? How do you? How do you? What do you throw up on Craigslist? Wanted <laughs> one torturer must have name like old old Marquis Desaad guy. <laughs> Previous experience a plus. No high school education needed. Must not needed be willing to stab boss and back. <laughs> so you had a couple, um, couple, yeah, uh, specific on, on a, notes on, through these. On page eighteen, where where Granny's about to beat up little Maya for for her, you know, insurrection. I was just thinking to myself, this is a very special issue about the subject of child abuse. <laughs> um, page nineteen. And uh, th- this is actually the l- sorry. I was just laughing. Okay, on page nineteen, this is the last that we see of Darkseid, at least in the Superman story, until Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey. I believe so. Um, and the reason why I know that is because I started reading with the death, and I was not introduced to Darkseid until Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey. That was yeah, my gotta- first time seeing the character. Actually, I have a very specific opinion about Darkseid's involvement in Hunter Prey, but I'll get to that when we get to that next year. Um, yeah, it's a waste of Because we are going to cover that, because it's awesome. 
and I love that costume, and I like the fact that you know. Oh, we can skip that one. <laughs> I got the action figure with that costume. I was about to say, DC Direct really needs to do like a straight up DC Direct version of that costume, or at, at the very least, do a really nice one in the DC Legends line. I know they had a costume like that. Uh, very, very early when Mattel first got the DC license and they started putting out Superman and Batman figures, because I have a bunch of figures from that era, uh, they all came packaged with comic books. And uh, Yes. Uh, the only one of that that I don't have is Brainiac. I didn't buy it at Kmart the day I saw it, and now I've been kind of kicking myself five years later. So, though speaking of action got- figures in DC Direct, you mentioned the... Uh, the New Gods line of figures that they put out based on the Kirby designs. Right. I picked up the Superman one for six bucks at Dragon Con, and boy, is that one goofy-looking Superman figure. Yes, it is. That's why I didn't get that one. It's it's like Vinny from the neighborhood put on a Superman costume. And it's, hey, Vinny, how you doing? Hey, I'm wearing a Superman costume. Look at me over here. I'm getting the, uh, the Alfred E. Newman Superman figure when I've, I've ordered that one. You make fun of me, I'll slap your face, okay? I don't do many yeah, but accents, but I do bad Italian very well. Very good. <laughs> I only speak two languages, English and bad English. <laughs> but um, the, those those figures, I have that one that was packaged with a Doomsday figure, which is funny because I do have the full the full size Doomsday figure. I also have a little HeroClix Doomsday, so now I've got three of them at varying sizes. <laughs> no, those are... Uh... And they all similar... <laughs> Oh, speaking of that, I actually picked up for four bucks the Eradicator figure from that oh, 1995 nuts. line that was available exclusively through Wizard, and at one point went for like big bucks. I found it like just by chance on eBay. <laughs> I won it for ninety nine cents with two ninety nine shipping. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. It, it's neat because he's got translucent hands, so if you hold it up to the light, it looks like they're glowing. And if you take off his cape, there's a place in the middle of his chest that does the same thing. So it's actually a neat little figure. He's got he's got like total '90s Arnold Schwarzenegger haircut though. So. <laughs> I, would really like I would really like them to do a Doomsday figure the way that he looked when he first came out of, when he first came out of the ground. You mean the green outfit? Yes, I can agree with that. That would be cool. But anyway, back to this issue. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the last time we see him till, till Superman Doomsday Hunter Prey. So. As I said before, this is a, on page 20. It's a nice contrast to Forever People number one, where Superman thinks about staying because he would fit in and leaves. Here he leaves because he would fit in. And on the next page, 21, Superman's kind of thinking to himself at the top of this page, like, you know, these people are gods, and I really don't think Lois could do without her Sunday edition of The Times if they were to move here. And I thought to myself, Lois reads The Times? That's that's like sacrilege. That's like working at McDonald's and eating a Burger King. Well, they have a good uh, Sunday edition, so. Oh, yeah. well, okay. They have the, the, the good crossword puzzle on Sundays. Yes. And that's the one that has peanuts. <laughs> yes. The Daily Planet does not carry peanuts. It carries Garfield and Mary Worth, but not peanuts. And and Dilbert. And Dilbert. Page 22, I likes this Superman. I likes the Superman that wants to stay on Earth and be with the humans and stuff like that. Doesn't feel like he needs to leave and be with his own kind. So, uh... I like that. 
I, I, I think it's kind of funny that he refers to Metropolis as boring, continuing all the considering all the crap that constantly happens in Metropolis. But whatever, boring old Metropolis. Well, here I'll stop these three robberies and then I'll take a break. <laughs> In this month's cryptograms, James Evans of Madison, Wisconsin, is the Baldy winner for pointing out that Superman in Adventures of Superman number 491 should have been more careful with how he cleaned the toxic waste. And he also wants a Superman graphic novel, at which point they say there are several Superman graphic novels in the works, James, but it's a tad too early to start babbling about them. Fear not. You, you'll all be the first to know right here in this in the Superman letters columns. And outside of Elseworlds, there really weren't that many Superman graphic novels outside of, like, Under the Yellow Sun, which I still have not read, but I own. But I've just you've, never, you've read. never read that? No. Okay. I bu- found it in a dollar box, and I went, hey, I need that. Put it on a shelf, and there it sat. So, I got that one the day that it came out, or at least the week that it came out. Interesting. That that was one of my first uh, prestige format Superman books. I was like, why is this so expensive? <laughs> Shouldn't it be better if it's going to cost this much? The way you it's, were talking, it's not bad. The way you were talking about it, it sounded like it should have been a lot better than it was. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's fine. I mean, I. I I don't rem- remember it well enough to really talk about it right now, but that's fine. We're saving it for when it's supposed to come out anyway. Yes. That was after the return, wasn't it? Yes. But it definitely takes place earlier. Probably. I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm stating as fact it definitely was meant to take place before that. He did not have the mullet yet. <laughs> I'm just ignoring you. <laughs> want you to know that I'm, I'm, I, 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 I guess this is as good a time as any to to, to say this I, I'm done with the mullet argument uh, I am of the opinion that uh, I am right that yes sometimes it may look like a mullet but it wasn't a mullet uh, so if you want to uh, if you want to bring it up that's fine just I just realized that if you do bring it up, uh, you and the listeners, that I'm going to consider it that you are just trying to get a rise out of me, and therefore it will be met with silence. Well, I would agree with you, but then we'd both be wrong. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> That's why I keep you around, Jeffrey. <laughs> that and I can't get rid of you. you. But I think everybody is entitled to my opinion. You have a you have a key in the security code to the from Crisis Crisis Studios, so it's kind of hard to change all the locks. And then I got to call Stanley and have them redo the alarm code, and it's just not. And then I mean, it wasn't that hard to get in when I didn't have a key yet, so because I'm a criminal. Um, <laughs> we're gonna go take a break, and when we come back, Jeffrey. He's going to talk to us about Action Comics, number 682. Lancers, I've called you here to this unprecedented gathering because we face an unprecedented danger. An enemy we don't yet fully understand. We were created, but I don't need to tell you your duty. I don't need to tell you who we are. Oh, no. 
chosen by the mystic guardians of the universe. Recruited from across the galaxy for their bravery and courage. The best and brightest join to fulfill a solemn oath. In brightest day. In blackest night. No evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green Lantern's Light. Green Lantern's Light, a monthly podcast covering the adventures of Hal Jordan, John Stewart, Guy Gardner, and the entire Green Lantern Corps from 1984 through today. Say the oath. Join the Corps. Green Lantern's Light. Available monthly at GreenLanternsLight.com. Superman is a copyrighted feature appearing in Action Comics magazine. And we're back, and we're about to take a look at Action Comics number 682, which has a triangle number of 40 for 1992. It came out September 8th, entitled Gauntlet, The Credits. Our Roger Stern writer, Dusty Abel, guest penciler. Is that the name? Abel? I always said Abel. Dusty that might be Abel. Abel. Dusty Abel Abel. Terry Austin, guest anchor. Ooh. Bill Oakley, letterer. Glenn Whitmore, colorist. Jennifer Frank, assistant editor. Mike Harlan, editor. Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. The cover to this, by the way, is also by Abel and Austin. Or Abel and Austin, if you prefer. So... Getting into the story, a pair of villains study a hologram of Superman. One is called High Tech, and it appears to be a huge robot. The other sits in the shadows and in a funky-looking hover chair. And they discuss how Superman once had his powers slightly diminished when the man in the chair gave the Joker a thermonuclear device that was set off and actually weakened Superman when it went off. And this can be found all the way back in Superman number 9 or from Crisis to Crisis episode 12. So, this man in the chair is offering High Tech the opportunity to beat Superman using his strategy. By the way, at this point, the silhouetted bad guy is shown to have those 80s green visor sunglasses, and if that doesn't tell you who it is, don't worry, all will be revealed in time. It was at that point that I could tell who it was, but it kind of helps to see the picture and already be familiar with the character. It seems that a um, we jump cut to Metropolis at dusk, where Clark Kent is buying a 60-cent hot dog from a street vendor. And thus begins the death of Superman. Uh, uh, no, just kidding. He dies. It was the hot dog vendor that turned into Doomsday. Yes, it was. <laughs> but a bright light over Hobbs Bay grabbed his and everyone else's attention. It seems that a laser from a newly launched satellite is boiling away the water. So in the brightness of the beam, Clark safely changes to Superman without anybody taking notice, and he takes off. But the beam seems to hurt when he gets in the way of it. The only option, it seems, is to track it back to, back to its source. When he reaches the satellite it, itself, there's a proximity alert that sets off a nuclear explosion. Like, we didn't see that one coming. Superman is knocked unconscious by the blast and plummets to the ocean below, although the shock of hitting the water does wake him up. High tech appears hovering above him and smacks him while he's down with an electric shock. Remember that high-tech's goal is to weaken Superman to the point of exhaustion before finishing him off. 
So Superman sinks under the surface, making High Tech think that he's died. But after a moment of confusion, uh, he flies out of the water and attacks. High Tech's suit seems to explode, but in fact, it's only shedding a layer of damaged armor that makes High Tech a little bit lighter. High Tech flies east at supersonic speed with the Man of Steel in hot pursuit, and they just avoid hitting the Eiffel Tower in Paris. They encounter two French in- interceptor jets, and High Tech shoots them out of the sky with missiles. Superman checks and makes sure that both pilots are parachuting safely, safely to the ground and uh, sees that the jets are actually going to land in, in the Seine. Uh, and he puts his attention um, – his, his attention is actually turned just long enough for high tech to hit him with similar missiles and knock him to the ground. Now Superman is officially pissed the f*** off and he flies full force at high tech. And at the time, he actually listens in and he hears what sounds like a conversation between high tech and whoever the other bad guy is. After a quick x-ray, he learns that there's a human being inside the robot suit. He uses some heat vision to take out high tech's mummy rocket boots. And this forces high tech to land in the Mediterranean that was already um, specifically an island that was already set up by the bad guys to be the final staging point for this battle. And it's at this point that the secret villain in the chair, the mastermind behind behind it all is none other than Thaddeus Kilgrave who will at last have his revenge from losing to, losing to Superman in issues such as Superman number 19 Action Comics 659 and Adventures of Superman 475 among others High Tech hightails it into a cave on the island, so Superman follows, but an Indiana Jones-sized boulder falls into place after him and shuts the entrance, but good Superman and High Tech fight some more for good measure, causing the next stage of the robot armor to come off and revealing a 90s comic book hot cyborg chick, which really tells you all you need to know about the way she looks. You don't need to look at a picture. Once Superman is knocked down again, Kilgrave's walking, walking computer shows up to gloat, uh, but high, to High Tech's surprise, he's got yet another nuclear bomb, and it's set to go off, and it should kill Superman and High Tech. High Tech gets so mad that she breaks the computer and starts trying to mess with the bomb. So once Kilgrave verifies that a seismographic spike from the bomb has shown up in the area, he toasts to himself with some you know, fizzy pink lemonade, it looks like, and records a video to send to the press explaining how he killed Superman. But then Superman and High Tech rip into Kilgrave's hideout. And after a quick explanation of how they were able to stop the bomb and even simulate the seismic event, Superman arrests him and he turns to High Tech to do the same to her. But it seems that she left while he wasn't paying attention and she replaced herself with a hologram just like the one of Superman from the start of the issue. So we can't grab onto her to arrest her. So Superman takes Kilgrave off to jail and then dies a week or two later. The end. The uh, Okay, the cover. You can start right off with that. I, I really like this cover. Eh, it's okay. It's decent. Yeah. The problem is that we get to see what high-tech looks like under all the armor right there on the cover when it seems like it was meant to be some sort of a reveal as the issue was unfolding. Yeah, it's kind of so. – it's, it's, it's extremely anticlimactic. In that sense, because, you know... We, we She's got, even labeled high t- yeah. tech. <laughs> we get that whole, uh... We get the whole Chinese... Uh, the, not Chinese, the Russian doll thing. Yes. And then, right in the cover, congratulations, this is what she looks like. Good luck! So <laughs> Enjoy. Now, one cool thing about this story is that it sort of ends the, a debate of sorts that I didn't really get into in the, in the synopsis concerning uh, Superman fighting without sunlight 
to recharge him? Like, what happens if you were to keep him in the nighttime? At least I thought I remembered them going... All, I, I, I could swear I remember them going all the way around the globe or something, and it staying night, but him still staying pretty much at full power, because in the end he reveals that he has all these that he's been under the sun for 30 years and been collecting solar energy all that time, but I guess I just remembered it wrong. But I think um, but I think part of the idea here is that he can't recharge when they're knocking him down because they specifically make sure that everything's happening at night time, and they just don't know that that's not going to be the thing that does it. It's being away from the sun for a long time, like when he was in space, yeah. that would drain his powers. And technically, isn't solar radiation still hitting the Earth during the night? Just not as directly? I think it would be a small enough amount. I don't know. It's kind of... It's comic book science anyways. So... It's not like this is how it really works. So Exactly. But, I mean, th- I do find this to be kind of a fun issue, even though it's almost all fighting. But right off the bat, when I open the page, I'm not digging the art. Uh, my note is page one, the Dusty Able roller coaster ride begins on this page on the downside of things. It's, he's very stiff. And I think that would be my biggest complaint with him and Superman, and, and in general, too, is that his figure work, everyone looks very, very static. So it's it looks weird to me, which is probably why yes, I and, enjoyed uh, it as much as I did. Yeah, I mean, they, everybody looks very, I guess, stuffy. I, I don't really know mm-hmm. how to explain it. Or, you know, like they're, you know, puppets with... You know, large hands up their butts or something. But, I mean, if you look on page three, this is been skipping ahead of my notes. The way that Clark Kent looks for that brief moment where he's actually Clark Kent before turning into Superman, he really looks like he should be selling candy or something. <laughs> That's funny. You're right, but it's funny. Or maybe ice cream. I don't even know. But but anyway, on uh, pages one and two, I, I took these notes without... Um, I certainly didn't remember who the bad guy turned out to be. Of course, it was Thaddeus Kilgrave, and I was trying to figure it out before I got to page three and could actually see his profile. And I was thinking, is this like Bloodthirst before a redesign? And you know, Bloodthirst is a character that we haven't seen yet, but we will at some point. Yeah. And then he just goes away when people rejoice. Um. But also, on on page three, uh, I, my note is now I see who it is. I hope they weren't trying to you know keep hiding him because from that profile shot, if you're yeah. familiar with the character, you know exactly who it is. So the big yeah, reveal like, oh, when, when you get to Gray. yeah, exactly. Oh, I get it now. I get it now. And yeah, sixty reason, cent hot dogs. Yeah. Now they're like three fifty. For some reason, though, I really rem- vividly remember reading this scene where Clark Kent buys the hot dog, like when it first came out. It's very strange. I was sitting, I was reading my books uh, on the couch in our family room, and it was during the day because we didn't have any lights on because we had a very well lit uh, house uh, during the day. And Clark Kent buying a hot dog. Don't ask me why that's memorable, but it was. <laughs> 
So weird. Does it make you think of that scene in Superman two? Where what? Where he goes and buys hot dogs. Does he buy hot dogs? I thought he was getting hamburgers. Oh, in, in, in Niagara Falls. Yeah. At least he paid for them. It's very nice. That's true. That's true. Um, so, yeah. You had a note about um, page four? Page four. Uh, a little stiff, but a decent Superman. Yeah, I, I do like the, the bigger panel, at least a lot more than the costume change bit. Yeah. <laughs> That's he's more going for, what I was going from Candyman to Superman. <laughs> Just don't say Superman in the mirror three times. <laughs> Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. Biggie Smalls. <laughs> Page nine as we get into the fight, because it's really hard to you know break this up and talk about a lot of the individual pages, so that we will be skipping ahead a little bit. There's just so much fighting, and once, once it's been explained, there's really not a whole lot to talk about. But... It, it does occur to me that, you know, it's a really smart move for Superman to feign basically drowning. Yeah. Just to confuse high-tech before coming up and doing that the fir- his first real attack. That Superman's a smart cookie. Yes, he is. Uh, page 10, I like the shot in the, in the final panel of Superman flying towards the camera. It's actually one of the better shots of Superman. Unfortunately, his cape is ripped, but whatever. Well, you know, new... Clear explosions will do that. Though I do, <laughs> I do like the fact that we find out who supplied Joker with the nuclear bomb in Superman number nine. Yes, it's kind of an interesting revelation, uh, and I just love the reaction. You gave Joker a nuclear weapon. I didn't give it to him. I sold <laughs> it to him. Like really? <laughs> okay. Here's the point. Congratulations. You've completely missed it. I am very proud of you. Um, page 11. This is another part that I found confusing based on what I, I thought I remembered about the book, that they actually had east, where I thought they were going to try and keep him in the darkness by slowly heading west or something. But then again, I mean, the sun has just gone down. So, I mean, if they head east, then they'll be even farther away from um, they'll be on the almost exact opposite side of the planet. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, because they, they end up in the Mediterranean once they pass through Paris. <laughs> um, on page thirteen, yeah, there's that moment of Superman has had enough. He's not going to take it anymore. Um, page 15, it does occur to me. He's like, oh, yeah, she went into this cave. And I thought to myself, this is no cave. That's not a moon. That's a <laughs> space station. It's impossible. It can't be a space station. Actually, it's impossible for it to be a moon. What's it What's it circling around? What is it orbiting? Nothing. <laughs> well, he's good at making the Kessel run. Not so much good at celestial mechanics. So. Apparently not. Pages 16 and 17, I like the whole Russian doll effect of you just keep ripping through armor and then they're in more armor. It's like, oh, okay, oh, 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 oh. Oh, you're a chick. Yeah, in fact, if high tech had been been a more popular character, you could have gotten a really cool action figure out of that. Probably. I would have liked to have seen it. Yeah. Um, Page... 20. Kilgrave 
could be smarter than this. I mean, he's taping his whole thing about how he was the one to kill Superman. I mean, I'm not saying that he should should have necessarily necessarily figured it out that Superman and High Tech were actually able to survive, but it seems really premature that he would tape this. Except that, I mean, the the reason why he's doing it is because it's exposition for the reader, of course. Yes. On page 20, love, uh, 20, love, wow. Page 21, I love, yes, how Superman thinks the information to the reader, but doesn't give Kilgrave or High Tech anything useful for future attacks. Mm -hmm. What he's thinking is that, you know... Well, I've been storing solar energy for a long time, so it's you know being in the dark is not necessarily going to slow me down. And finally, uh, my, my last note on this: I know that you've got one for the same page, page twenty-two. High tech will be back. In fact, my first introduction to the character was her second appearance. But we do have a pretty big story arc to cover before we get to that. <laughs> Several, like three. So yeah. Uh, page 22, my note was a rather average issue, not bad, but not that great either. I'm not a big fan of high tech as a character, and I didn't like the whole, oh, she's a hologram at the end. So, yeah. Yeah. Whatever. It's it's one of those things for me where I normally don't really care for the, the issues where it's almost nothing but fighting. I mean, yes, there is a little bit of a story to it, but it's really just about having it be a great big Fight, and there's very little breaking away from it. It's not like the last issue where you know he was going to uh, to, to apocalypse, and then we get a cutaway to Jimmy Olsen or the Forever People show up, and you get a quick scene in the, in the Daily Planet. There's none of that here. This is all just one big fight, basically from the beginning. I mean, he's only at the hot dog vendor for one panel. I hope he enjoyed it. It's hot dog, by the way. Alrighty, in the reaction letters page for this month in action, um, this was the Baldy winning letter. Dear Mike, does the body rule the mind or the mind rule the body? Seems that in the Superman titles, essential identity is contained within the brain. A brain can be moved from one body to another, to a metal holder in the shape of a head, or to a nutrient tank, and it will still be the same essential person. On the other hand, if a mind changes, as Superman has on several occasions, it presents the body uh, differently, new costume, beard, or whatever. But can a brain in a different body be the same person? Isn't personality affected by how others perceive you? Luther I was perceived as a tyrant by, by, well, pretty much everyone. People were afraid, but not unwilling to tell him exactly what they thought of him. As As Luther II... He is well-liked by almost everyone. Wouldn't just waking up in the morning and realizing that people genuinely like you, especially after years of being despised, have some kind of effect on a personality? I would be interested in seeing this topic explored in future issues. Is Luther acting, or is he genuinely becoming a different person? (laughs) The answer, uh... Just acting. Uh, perhaps you can't keep a bad man down, but perhaps all the plastic surgery and liposuction ads are correct. A new face and body can make a difference. R. Kevin Doyle, Honolulu, Hawaii. So, I disagree uh, with a lot of what he said. Yeah, I was about to say, I, I do too. Um, everyone liked Lex Luthor, except a very small handful of people. Yeah. I mean, the people who hated him were kind of few and far between. Yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, he was like Donald Trump, which, I mean, even if you don't really care for, for Donald Trump, Trump, how can you really hate the guy? <laughs> and he has nice ties. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I, I honestly don't care for Donald Trump, but I would hardly call that at hatred or seeing him as a tyrant. I figure if he's going to run his business the way that he wants to, wants to run his business, that's fine by me. It doesn't. Yeah, as long as he isn't doing anything me. illegal. Exactly. I mean, you know. <laughs> and and nobody nobody knew that Lex Luthor was doing anything illegal, with the exception of say you know super. Man and Perry White has had his own reasons to hate him, and Lois Lane still has that you know nude video that uh, that he took of her. But that is not to say that everything Luther did was an illegal act. I'm sure there were many no. business takeovers that he that he performed or took part in that were perfectly on the up and up. Oh, we're going to buy this place now. I'm sure there was some shady goings on with certain of the deals, some of the deals, but not all of them. So, and every once in a while, you, you get one of those in. Incidents like the 900 miles to Metropolis story. <laughs> All righty. Um, ads this month. Ooh, ads. I got to get the book back open. On the, uh, okay. on the inside front cover, even the farm animals know something's coming. Final Fantasy Mystic Quest coming this fall. I never played that one. I wonder if... Um, I played Final Fantasy Legends, which was for the Game Boy... We have another ad which, for Super... Which, which actually turned out to be Secret of Mana Part 1 or something. We have another ad for the home version of Super High Impact. I loved the arcade version of that. I actually could play it. Sometimes I wasn't very good at football games. Another ad for Ganthet's Tale. An ad for Hammerlock. Tomorrow's superhumans are here. A, a Vander Holyfield boxing game. From the Sega Genesis. Yeah, they couldn't get Mike Tyson for Punch-Out. Well, that and Holyfield was the champ at this time. Gotcha. He lives in this area. Okay. Driven by his house. It's very large. He lives near Emmanuel Lewis. Uh, an ad for the Guy Gardner series, which you're going to be talking about soon. Isn't Emmanuel uh, Lewis dead? No. Gary Coleman's dead. That's who it is. Uh, a subscription ad with a Justice League America image on it, complete with Blue Beetle being Spider-Man. Uh, Inside uh, back cover is George Foreman's Knockouts and George Foreman's KO Boxing. That's funny because the Holyfield one was Sega Genesis, and this is on Nintendo. Yep. And and, and, and uh, sorry, go on. Yeah, there's a Super Nintendo, a Nintendo, and a Game Boy version. Yes, and because we are also tracking the evolution of video games with this podcast, this was a time, a very brief time, where they would make games for both the Super Nintendo and the regular Nintendo. They claimed that they would need to do this for a long time, but it really only lasted six months or so. Then they and had a bunch of games that were all set for the regular Nintendo and they didn't even release them because they weren't selling anymore. And on the back cover, we have a handheld Tiger Batman Returns game with a picture of Danny DeVito as the Penguin saying, you don't really think you'll win, do you? Yeah, this is another one of those ridiculous LCD games that you just can't time things. Right, because the penguin's gonna like shoot bullets at you, and you'll see them go. But 
if you jump at just the wrong time, even if it makes sense to jump, it can still just kill you. And these games were a pain in the butt. Yes. All righty. We have one more break, and then we're going to come back and talk about Superman Special Number 1. It's special. Gathered together from the far reaches of the Internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman Golden Age Superman The Superman Fan Podcast Superman in the Bronze Age From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast I've got a few things to say about Superman The Superman Vidcast The world's best podcast And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com As well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton And Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton From Hinden Audio Productions Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Yunus, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. All right, folks, we are back with an anomaly. Something that really doesn't fit within the current crop of stories that we're talking about. And yet, here it is. Published in the same month as these books. Very strange. I am talking about Superman Special number one. Chronologically, I actually placed this pretty much right after the Sinbad contract. Uh, no. Because in this, Lois and Clark aren't even dating. Were they... Oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, what happened right after the Sinbad contract? Yeah, no, it, it, it would have to be just a little bit before that then because it couldn't be it couldn't be very far before that it would be to me probably in that weird gray area after he got back but before they started dating because remember when we were talking about those issues it seemed like lois was ready to deepen the relationship with clark like in the very next adventures of superman and then the whole thing with him being you know, the the Krypton man basically kind of interrupted all of that. And after that, they started dating. So I would say this all, this issue took, this story takes place before even the whole Hank Haywood thing. Uh, with, uh, with the, uh, the space shuttle Fantastic Four story. Oh, okay. The Hank Henshaw. Hank Henshaw. Why would, uh, what? Hank was- Haywood is steel. I was I, I was wondering what you were talking about. Hank Haywood is the original Steel, and then he becomes Commander Steel. This was released on September first, nineteen ninety two. So I am a couple days before. This is a couple days before I entered the eleventh grade. Uh, cover was by Walt Simonson, and the credits. Where are the credits? I was in seventh grade. Just going into seventh grade. Credits for this. Storytelling, Walt Simonson. That encompasses writing, penciling, and inking, by the way. 
Uh, lettering, John B. Workman Jr. Coloring, Glenn Whitmore. Associate editing, John Peterson. Editing, Mike Carlin. Technical, technical advisor, Dust, Dr. Bruce M. Simonson. And Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. In his Fortress of Solitude, Superman pounds statues of General Zod, Zeora, and Quicksoul out of rock and vows never to take another life, even creating a rather clunky plaque for the piece, which is surprising considering the guy writes for a living. <laughs> Sorry, I thought, I, I thought he could come up with something better than... What does this say? Let me, let me get the comic closer. Let me Superman will forever be the champion of life and, and never, never it's it's destroyer as long as i walk the green hills of earth oh wow <laughs> back in metropolis lois catches clark coming out of the storeroom and soon the two are talking about the story lois is working on seems lois got a hot lead on cosmography industries which is apparently working on a stealth fighter technology but no one seems to know who owns cosmography Meanwhile, Texas Cosmography are experimenting with the volatile substance when there is an explosion. The big boom gets Clark's attention, and after bumping into Jimmy, he is off to change into Superman. He flies to Cosmography Industries just in time to get caught in another violent explosion. Meanwhile, the Newsboy Legion detects the seismic activity caused by the explosion, and soon they are picking up Jimmy Olsen and Lois Lane to join in on the fun. Back at Cosmography, Superman wakes up and starts freeing people from the rubble. Lex Luthor, Cosmography's owner, by the way, shows up, and after the usual back and forth with Lex and Superman, Lex admits that they were working on something truly special and produces the sample of kryptonite that had been taken from Metallo's chest. One problem, at least for Lex. The kryptonite has been rendered inert. Superman even eats some of it. Lois, Jimmy, and the newsboys show up, and Lex does his usual dance of getting out of trouble as Superman flies off. Lex privately muses that it isn't fair, and he was the one that destroyed the one thing that could kill Superman. As Superman flies past the place where he impacted, he suddenly gets dizzy for a moment, which he chalks up to a delayed reaction from that explosion. Later, a humanoid sand creature shaped vaguely like Superman emerges from the place Superman crashed. He runs into a few Luther security goons and attacks them. Back at his apartment, Clark discovers that he has lost his super breath while drying dishes. He heads back to where Cosmography used to be, and after seeing the paramedics treating the injured security goons, he lands at his crash site. Once again, he becomes weakened and is finally able to fly away to escape the feeling. Meanwhile, the sand creature develops heat vision. At the same time, Lex has brought in a tracker to tell him what happened to the former site of, uh, on, of cosmography. The tracker finds traces of the sand creature, and soon the two men are on the trail, with Lex believe, believing that they are tracking Superman. Back at his apartment, Superman uses his supervision to check out the site once more when it goes out on him. To make matters worse, the sand creature, looking like, more like Superman now, attacks Superman escapes out the window, but the creature follows and is soon plummeting to the ground. Lex spots this from a helicopter and calls in Team Luther. They arrive quickly and attack and finally lure the creature into a stone cage. Inside the stone cage, at least that's what it looks like to me, Lex is waiting and after a bit of holographic help, he tells the creature that he can arrange to get Superman and the creature together. 
The next day, Superman muses on everything before hearing the gunfire from a high-profile bank robbery. When he arrives on the scene, he loses his ability to fly, and that's when the sand creature attacks. As the creature and Superman fight, Olsen and the Newsboy Legion arrives to lend a hand with the bank robbers. Eventually, Jimmy uses the whiz wagon to run into the creature, which only ticks it off. Superman uses the distraction to steal the whiz wagon and lead the creature away. The chase ends in the Fortress of Solitude, where the hand-to-hand fight begins anew. The creature savagely beats Superman, and finally has him in his grasp when Superman kisses his doppelganger, which overloads the creature absorption process. And it just looks like he kisses him. I don't think he actually does. He be- uh, the creature becomes even more like Superman and smashes the statues of the Zoners before thinking he has killed the Man of Steel. This leads to a pretty, uh, pretty big breakdown and the creature self-destructs in shame. The next morning, Lex arrives at work and finds Superman in his office. Superman does the whole I can't prove it's you thing and gives Luther Lex a guilt trip slash hard time before flying off. Now, you have a note about the background of this story, and I have a couple notes as well. Yeah, you know, from reading this, it occurred, a couple of things occurred to me, because, uh, I mean, Walt Simonson did do all of the writing, the art, the inking, and to me, this is not his best work on on the art, in in my opinion, but... I mean, that's just me. And uh, so I, I wondered what the heck was going on. And I knew that this was going to be an annual. I remember that there was, there was an ad. I can't remember what the annual was, although you have a note about that. Uh-huh. And uh, I wondered why it was delayed, because this was supposed to come out in sequence. It would have taken place in a certain place chronologically. And... Uh, I I I'd wondered what was going on, and I went ahead and uh, I emailed Mike Carlin just to ask him, "Do you know why? Do you remember why this particular issue was delayed so long?" And so he emailed back to me. Um, I simply think it was Walt busy with other stuff, and we wanted to wait for his take. At least it got published. I got I started one with Chris Claremont and Michael Golden that never got finished. Oh well, and have a nice podcast. He says, Mike Carlin, such a nice guy. Yeah, I had asked him years ago about that um, Michael Golden thing, and it was actually going to be Chris Claremont's first writing work for uh, for DC as well. So it would have been a pretty big deal, but it just never happened. Uh, this was supposed to be Superman Annual number three for 1990. Uh, the oh, okay. Michael Golden one was supposed to be Action Comics Annual number three, uh, which is why it fits where it does. I had no idea this book existed until 1995 when I bought my first copy of the Wizard. It's ostensibly a Death of Superman special, but really it takes place right before Reign of Superman begins. So it's more of a thing on that. And they had this in the price guide they had for the Superman books. And I just looked at it, and I'm like, I have never seen that. So when I moved to Georgia, I finally found a copy. And I bought it, and I got it home, and the staples were loose. So about a year later, I found another copy, bought it, got it home. Staples are kind of loose. I'm on my fourth copy. The staples are better. But for some reason, every copy I've ever gotten, the staples have been loose. So That's no good. 
This is also a retelling of the Sandman saga, which kicked off the Superman and the Bronze Age era, uh, which is why originally we were going to have Charlie Niemeyer on the show. Sorry, Charlie. Um, to kind of give his perspective on it, as I have read most of that story, but not all of it. Uh, it was a it was a little more involved in this because it took place over uh, about eight issues or so, ten or eight issues, somewhere around there. But it's kind of neat to see the post-crisis version of this story take place. Unfortunately. While there are some places where the art is very good, and this is very consistent with Walt Simonson art from this time period. If you look at his, for example, his Fantastic Four artwork. Uh, from I, I think I just like his older stuff. I, I don't know for sure what it is. Uh, but I think story, I think the story is what hurts this this book, not the art. The art itself, in many cases, and I have notes on that, is actually kind of cool. But my problem is how the story kind of meanders from beginning to end. And it seems like the main point of it is that Superman vows not to kill, but uses that vow and the plaque he created to convince the creature that he was dead so that the creature would self-destruct. But then there's this whole weird conversation between him and Lex at the end of the issue. And what WTF was going on with Lex? throughout, like, this entire story. But, uh, you know, I guess that goes into the specific notes we both have for this, so... Yeah, it, it's really hard to say what was going on with Lex, because he doesn't seem to have a, a, any specific agenda. Yeah. At all. It, and and no, normally he's... Yeah, in, in this continuity, he's normally very direct. So, uh, pages two through four... Um, see, <laughs> Superman doing the whole Phantom Zone thing and the plaque, I, I thought going through exile took care of the guilt. Uh, but making statues works, too. Uh, and a plaque. Yeah. Uh, and it's a good thing that we never have to see this again. <laughs> Page five, a weird-looking Clark. And the panel of him coming out of the, um newsroom uh, the the storeroom and this scene just feels really weird like clark's bumbling and like the pre-crisis clark until the end of the scene when he's not so it's just really strange yeah i see exactly what you mean and it it is kind of funny at this point to see a story where lois doesn't know clark's secret yeah. and they're not <laughs> dating uh page seven awesome awesome Superman shot on this page. Probably the best shot of Superman in the entire book. On page 7? Yes. Where he has a huge leg? Yes. Okay. Seems a little disproportionate to me. I realize the idea is that his knee is up, but it's a weird angle to even be showing that, I think. I like his face and his upper body, but the the leg is kind of throwing me off. Oh well, um, and th- there is something about, about you know Clark says that he double parked his car, and Jimmy says this, uh, that he wait don't, you don't have a car. Are we sure that Clark doesn't have a car? I don't remember for sure. I may be thinking of the animated series, you know, where Lois goes through cars like tissue paper, but uh, Clark had some cars and yeah. I can't remember if he had any at this point. He had a conversion coupe. And well, he had a he had a he had a car. 
that went over the edge in that uh, the late Mr. Kent. Yes. But also there was a toy called the Conversion Coop. Oh, okay. A Clark Kent figure with it. So. Yeah, come on. Even Barbie had a car, right? <laughs> it's a uh, supermobile. But in in the comics, I can't remember if he's had a car at any point or not. I don't ever remember him having a car in this continuity. <laughs> you're, you're probably right because I, I'm, I'm probably just remembering it wrong. I, I'm remembering, remembering that scene in uh, in the late Mr. Kent and uh, yeah, I can't really think of any other time, so... Page 9, it's nice to have them in the story, but why are the Newsboy Legion here except to give Superman the whiz wagon leader in the, in the story? That's the reason. Okay. That's the reason. And maybe, we, and maybe Simonson, who is a big Kirby fan, wanted to play with some of the Kirby creations. Is there some definite Kirby Superman shots in this book? That's that's my best guess. And also the fact that um, the, the Newsboy Legion is something that, uh, that – I mean Kirby used them plenty – Flip-a-dippa. Flip-a-dippa. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And Tommy. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we, in, in real time, we haven't seen a lot of the Newsboys lately, unless it just feels that way because Eclipso took us more than a month to do. But regardless, yeah, they, they were more prevalent probably at, at this time. We'd, we just had that, uh, that issue with Jimmy Olsen and, and them with the Wizwagon as well. And oh man, some some of the language here, like Tommy says, you know, dig it. I've lifted yo. a key, yo. No, he doesn't say yo. I just want no, to I know. That in there. But it, you know, they don't even call it Cadmus. No, nope. it's a secret byway is of a hidden facility known only as the Project. No, no, no. That's not the only thing it's known as. It's also known as Cadmus or the Cadmus <laughs> Project. Um. Uh, page 13, that is where we are next, yes. Yeah. Page 13, nice callback to the need salt and Superman eating the kryptonite. I'm only glad that the kryptonite did not turn back into kryptonite and give him stomach cancer. <laughs> that would be painful. Yes, but yeah, it's a really funny moment, too, of him biting the the green kryptonite. And, and also, synthesizing kryptonite is something that does get talked about later, although I don't think that it was intended for this to be part of that story in any way whatsoever. No, not at all. No, not at all. Uh, page 14, Superman and Lex suck at lying on this page when Lois shows up and asks what's going on. It's, it's oh, not terrible. That. We're just having a friendly heart-to-heart. <laughs> right. We're just having a chat. Yeah, a chat. He's chitting, I'm chatting. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Uh, page okay. 16. Page 16, yeah, you, you go first. Um, nice page. Uh, I, I actually rather like the artwork here. Uh, especially the creepy-looking smile on the sand creature on the bottom panel. Yeah, it's almost like a zombie. Like, it's missing a mouth. It just has the teeth showing. <laughs> exactly. Lips. No lips. You know, yeah, I, I just read this part and kind of thought to myself, lazy storytelling. I'm automatically bored with this villain. And uh, I, I realize that it's a throwback and he's meant to be the Sandman, but why not call him Bizarro? <laughs> he, he he could be the Bizarro of, of this time. Practically. Page 18, another another nice page of Superman checking his breath. I um, 
I rather actually I like the artwork here. I think he does a really good Clark Kent. But the way he's holding is it's like okay, okay, that 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 burrito I had at lunch was okay, good. Okay, very good. Maybe I'll talk to Lois later. Yeah. Maybe I need a mint. <laughs> but no, I I agree. I I really like his Clark Kent. On page let's see, where are we? Twenty one. Is that the next one? Yes. Yep. Why is Luther t- talking like that? Uh, that's I'm not g- how you talk to people who uh, don't speak English well. Well, that's how Luther talks to people that don't speak English well. And uh, my point is, my question is, what is the point of this tracker? He doesn't really make sense at all. That is weird. Like, yeah, I, I don't really know why Lex is so interested or what he's even done to be helpful in any way whatsoever. And Lex even makes a note later on that uh, well, it's uh, on page twenty, page 26, I'm skipping ahead just a little bit in my notes, but I'm calling BS on Luther saying that he's always a man of his word. What he says is, you know, well, we're going to let this guy live and, you know, he did really well, so you'd be sure that you pay him because Lex Luthor's a man of his word. No, no he's not. Maybe no, you are going to pay him and let him live and do all that stuff, but that's because you're choosing to this time. All righty. Uh, but, but on page 22, okay, Superman lost his powers like this before, but that was with Siphon and Dreadnought. Yeah. He lost his powers in almost exact same way. Yeah, where one, one at a time they disappeared on him. Yep. Page 25. Um, I like the bottom panel here where the sand creature's heat vision kicks in. It's a really weird looking panel. I like the art. A lot. There's one thing that kind of bothers me on page 25. When he notices that it's the same kind of sand from Luther's lab, this is one of my least favorite comic books things it like how batman knows exactly where a bad guy is because he found some mud on the bottom of his of his boot that can only be found from one place in gotham <laughs> this kind of mud can only come from that that place so exactly Okay. Yeah, um, I, I did already say my note on about page 26, but page 27. Wow, it's old school Team Luther. Yeah, with the, the purple and green armor. Yes. <laughs> um, page 29, the scene with Lex and the creature, that just doesn't work well for me at all. It, it, it really, the whole Lex end of this of trying to get the creature to kill Superman makes absolutely no sense to me. It's it feels very tacked on to the rest of the uh, uh, of what's going on. So it's just it, it's here really where the story starts falling apart. Yeah, and it's pretty much here where my notes come to an abrupt end because I just lost interest. There was very very little that yeah, really even seems worth talking about through well, this, and there's a whole lot of fighty fighty and all that goodness. Well, uh, I, 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 my notes kind of skip. I go from 29 to page 35, where there's this really cool panel of Superman and the Sand Creature fighting at the top. Uh, I really liked that. Pages 46 through 48. Oh, that's why he did the whole statue thing. 
so that the guy could see it later. Uh, it all makes sense now. Yeah. It's all coming back to me now. It's all falling into place. It's all going to plan. So. <laughs> oh. What a, a letdown. Yeah, it's a huge letdown of an ending on page 26. That's that's all I really had to say about it. Uh, my last note on the story is pages 49 and 50, the type of scene where Superman tells Lex that he knows what's going on, blah, 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 blah. I can't prove it, but you know you're a bad guy, and I know you're a bad guy, blah, blah, blah. So. Yeah, it that exact same kind of conversation has been done and been done better than this, unfortunately. So <laughs> Much better than that, actually. Much better than this. In fact, Lois and Clark did a really good version of it, I thought, in the pilot. We have a bunch of pinup art at the end. Uh, and looking through these, let's see, we have a Barry Windsor Smith one that... We have the I same note. Yeah, I know we do. I don't really care for the Barry Windsor Smith one. It's okay, but not that great. Really can't stand the Frank Miller one. No, um, Frank Miller one sucks. It's really, really bad. Uh, the Kurt Swan and Art T. Bear one is kind of cool. I just don't really see it as that great of a pinup necessarily. Yeah, I'll agree with that. It's just structured wrong, it, it seems like. We have a Michael Golden one that's, you know, again, okay. But, one, you know, once again, Superman looks very, very stiff. And there are some mm-hmm. jets behind him. Uh, there's a John J. Muth one. Am I saying that right? Muth? M U T H? Yeah. And this one just seems weird. He's fighting a dinosaur with a blimp over his head on train tracks while the train is coming, and there's a damsel in distress. Well, actually, this may be my only chance to ever draw Superman. I'm going to put everything in the picture. Throw in the kitchen sink. I want to see him fighting a dinosaur. I want to see him saving a woman on train tracks. And I've always wanted to draw a blimp. And we turn the page, there are the last two. I'm, I'm going to get to the McFarlane one in a second, but there's one by Jeff Darrow that, again, I can't even put my finger on it. It's almost like it's too blocky. And there's a lot of stuff going on in the windows behind this building, but okay. I don't really get what's supposed to be going on here. Here's the thing about Jeff Darrow's work. It's hyper, hyper technical and detailed. If you look at the creature, it's amazingly detailed. If you look at the building with the people in it, it's amazingly detailed. Super it is very boring. detailed. Yeah. So uh, he did a uh, he did a book with Frank Miller called Hard Boiled. That's very. Oh yeah, I'm f- I'm familiar with that. So uh, yeah, but no, the McFarlane one is awesome. That's the coolest one by far, and I'm I'm not always McFarlane fan, and it's definitely even McFarlane style. Like it's it's almost a spawn cape. I am wondering... But Superman looks great. I am wondering if some of these pinups were left over from Action Comics number 600. Oh, interesting. I don't have that for a fact, uh, but that's just a personal personal theory. Yeah, um, it could have been to add pages so that they could make it three, 350. We, uh, we have a really neat ad for the one-hit series Becomes 2... For Valor and Eclipso. So, I forgot that Valor was originally done by M.D. Bright. I love his artwork. He did Iron Man for a while. He did Green Lantern for a while. 
So, really neat. We also have a, another ad for Batman Sword of Azrael uh, and the Batman Adventures based on the animated series one that we've talked about before. But we're going to get a little into those in the Elsewhere in the DC Universe. So, unless you have anything else, you're taking point on Elsewhere in the DC Universe. Oh, I wasn't planning to take point on it necessarily. I did want to talk about Guy Gardner number one. Well, yeah, that's what I meant by taking point. You're oh, well, there we go. It. Yes. Okay. One of these things is not like the other. Go ahead. Okay, uh, and and we're back. Uh, we, we weren't taking a break. Oh, okay. Never mind. Uh, so, so we we are back, and uh, I, I did take a look at Guy Gardner number one specifically because Superman is a big part of it, and. Uh, uh, actually, yeah, that really is the only reason. This has nothing to do with Eclipso or anything. Guy Gardner, of course, does now have the yellow ring, and this is him in his own series using it. And a lot of what happens is directly part of that. But since Superman is a part of it, I thought I would mention. For, first off, Guy goes back to the place where he got his butt handed to him back in Guy Gardner Reborn number one. Because at that time, he did not have a power ring. So he goes back with the ring and you know really kicks him butt. And it it is kind of funny to me reading this at this point because the way Gardner just sort of is, you couldn't tell for sure if he was being affected by the way the whole by, by the whole way thing the yellow ring works in current Green Lantern because he's just kind of a jerk anyway. So kind of mm-hmm. interesting there. Uh, Superman's role is he shows up at Justice League headquarters and he yells at Guy for being too rough and giving the league a bad name. Then Ice gets. Some- the middle of it and take Superman's side so Guy just leaves later on Superman does contact Hal and Wally at the Justice League Europe headquarters and tells them about Guy which leads Hal to talk to the Guardians and so the Guardians send uh, Kilowog to go and talk to Guy I really did like the ending and I kind of want to see what happens in in issue 2 at this point but issue 1 is the only one that I own at the end, his ring runs out of juice, and he realizes that he doesn't know how he's supposed to recharge it. I bought this, uh, this in the second issue, at the comic shop I was going to at the time, the Comic Vault, the very same night, because they had a bunch of extra copies of both issues, uh, and just had them lying around, I bought it the same night I bought the first part of Funeral for a Friend. So it was really kind of weird reading it. <laughs> when I got him, I was like, he's alive, he's dead, he's alive, he's dead. <laughs> but, um... I, I got my copy out of um, the, the store where I work right now. There's There was a deal where it was 50% off if you got nine issues. This is before I worked there. And that was one of the ones that I found, and I was trying to put together nine issues of... You know, stuff that interested me and was relatively inexpensive anyway, and that was what I went with. Now it's 60% off if you get five, but whatever. I want some money back. Alrighty, elsewhere in the DC Universe, we have Justice League International Quarterly number eight, which I'm only mentioning because it's a riff on the X-Men number 100 cover. Of the, it's got the Justice League and the conglomerate running at each other like it had the classic X-Men and the new X-Men running at each other on X-Men number 100 with Professor Xavier in the middle. Uh, we have Black Spider in Sh- Batman Shadow of the Bat number one. We have Batman Sword of Azrael number one, which is oh, a yeah. very, very good series. Um Flash number 69 and Green Lantern number 30 uh, continue into each other. 
Uh, it's part of a four-part story. It is also apparently a story that got both Mark Wade and Gerard Jones in trouble uh, for being too silver agey <laughs> uh, with their titles. Uh, Why? Nice. Because Flash and Green Lantern were crossing over like they often did? Yeah, and they fought Hector Hammond and Gorilla Grodd. So. Uh, uh, got Green Lantern Mosaic number five, which has a cool cover. Got a bunch of the Eclipso crossovers, as the series had not yet ended yet. Uh, we have, I was about to say the Superman issue. What the heck is wrong with me? Black Mask is in Batman number 485. Uh, very ugly Kelly Jones cover on Detective Comics number 651. Neither of us read Demon number 28, which has Superman I on the cover. I completely missed that. Darn it. Oh, well. So did I. Oh, well. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll try to... We'll try to do better on that. We'll we'll let John Wilson talk to you about that one the next time we have him on. Uh, we have a really cool cover of Legion of Superheroes number 24 as the Supergirl stand-in. Uh, I forget what her name was. Who is on this cover? Do-do-do-do-do. She looks like she's she's dressed like Mon-El in a female version. Yeah, she's, like. she's Mon-El's descendant. Okay. Uh, who and she's very much supposed to be like the Supergirl version of it. Uh, Total Chaos continues through the just the Titans books like Team T- like New Titans number ninety one, Team Titans number two, and the Deathstroke the Terminator issue from this month. We have the Heckler number two, which I have still yet to read. We have a very cool cover on Legend of the Shield uh, number 16, which is the last issue of that. This is really the end of the the first wave of Impact books, which is kind of sad. Dark Stars number one came out this month. We have a Travis Charest ass-shot cover of The Huntress on Detective Comics number 652, but it was written by Chuck Dixon, so who cares? Batman Adventures number one. Guy Gardner, number one, uh, the Batman Bride of the Demon softcover came out. The second issue of Martian Manhunter American Secrets. And finally, Sergeant Rock special number one. And that is all that was that really stood out to me at DC. Cover date, October 1992. Next time okay, we can... Okay, so the, the, oh. the, the Demon issue, it looks like the... Damon Etrigan is supposed to be trying to take out some guy, so Superman shows up and stands in the way of him, and they fight, and Superman clearly seems to win. <laughs> you suck. And you then he, no, he, <laughs> he pretty much goes, goes away halfway through the issue, then shows up in the end and uh, realizes that he's, you know, his job is not done, and he's actually talking to Lois in the Daily Planet, and has to take off to turn into Superman. That's how the issue ends. So I don't know if he's in the next one or what, but I don't know. I'll talk about it next time if we have to. So what do we got next time, Jeffrey? Next time, let's see. Um, Next time we have Man of Steel number, I want to say 17, which I really don't remember anything about it. So which one was that? It's an Underworlders issue. That's what it was. Yeah, it's, it's all about the Underworld, which is going to continue on in The Man of Steel. We, we've only really touched the, scratched the surface with the Underworld, so to speak. And the other 
she will be doing will be time and time again and again. Alrighty, folks. Wow. Regular sized episode. Who knew? <laughs> Who knew we had knew? this? This you is what happens when we don't have a guest host. <laughs> well, Jeffrey, it's the end of the episode. Outside of telling everyone to have a very happy Thanksgiving who live in the States and celebrate it. What is your final thought? I can't remember if I've said this one before. I used to think I was a hypochondriac, but it turned out to be psychosomatic. (laughs) All right, everybody. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the Superman homepage, hosted by Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor. Superman and all related characters are copyright DC Comics. Neither Michael nor Jeffrey own them nor claim to own them. All music and images are used for entertainment purposes only. Neither Michael nor Jeffrey make any money from the production of this podcast, and do so because they really like this era of the Man of Steel and want to share their love of Superman with their fellow fans. In other words, please don't sue us. There are several ways to get in touch with the show. The most direct route is to drop us an email by writing to fromcrisistocrisis at gmail.com. All emails are read, and some even make it on the show. Then there is From Crisis to Crisis's Facebook page, which you can friend by putting in the first name From Crisis, last name To Crisis. There you can get updates on the show and interact with us and your fellow listeners. You can also find the show over at the Superman homepage, located at www.supermanhomepage.com. Not only can you sign up for a free membership for the site and comment on the episodes, but you will also be visiting the greatest Superman site ever on the internet. Signing up is free, and we can guarantee no spam in your email box. Finally, From Crisis to Crisis is a very proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, which you can find at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you can make comments on episodes and check out the other fantastic Superman podcasts that are out there for you to download and enjoy. Superman, created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Thank you for listening to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. And for other thrilling adventures of Superman, see your local newspaper. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC publications. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System.